What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also pick it up on our Podomatic page, podomatic.com. And occasionally we upload some of these shows to our YouTube channel, uh, generally when we have a, a call-in guest. Um, so uh, it is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And our camp is coming up in less than a month. And uh, we're almost full. It's, it's kind of a good thing to say that because over the years, usually within the last month or so, we, we're kind of scrambling to get more attendees. And we always do relatively well with that, but uh, the last couple of years, uh, as, as we've become no, more known, uh, we get people signing up, and I think we just, uh, we have room for unaccompanied minors and unaccompanied adults, but I think we're all booked up with the family, so we got a lot of new families coming to camp, but to learn about what we do at our camp and what we do year-round, visit our website, campconstitution.net. And please also avail yourself of this great resource called the Samuel Blumenfeld Archive. And we're very excited that uh, we're getting such uh, a notoriety, uh, not only in the United States, but in countries like Zimbabwe, where uh, a, a young man who runs a school, started a school in, uh, in, the, in the country's capital, is now using the Blumenfeld Archive or the, the Blumenfeld um, Alpha Phonics to teach these young people, these precious young people in a school. It's, and we, uh, he sent me a couple of videos of these youngsters using the Alpha Phonics, the Sam Blumenfeld. They, they call it the Blumenfeld approach. That's the term they use. So anyway, we're excited about that. And uh, we're going to be busy. We've got a lot of activity uh, in the region. And to learn, uh, you can go to our website, and there's a calendar there that has some of the events, uh, most of the events anyway, that we either either attending or that we're actually uh, sponsoring. And if you live in New England, uh, especially in New Hampshire or Maine or Vermont, uh, Reverend Stevie Kraft, he's going to be the guest preacher July 4th. Uh, he's going to give a good Independence Day sermon at the First Christian Church in Wolfboro, New Hampshire at 10 o'clock. And that's on North Main Street in Wolfboro. And then we're going to have a, a July 4th celebration here at our house with some speakers. So, uh, if you do plan to come by, just give us a heads up so we know, and, and it's a potluck, so bring something with you. But we're excited about, um, uh, you know, the events coming up. Um, I want to, today, uh, today's show, I want to talk about the differences between fascism, Nazism, communism, and, of course, the free market. And what brought me to, to do this, and I've done this sh- shows like this in the past, but um, there was a gentleman who wrote a letter in a local newspaper, and it was a very good newspaper, a, a very good article, a, a letter, I should say. But he, like a lot of people, uh, mentioned, uh, wrote that uh, communism and Nazism were diametrically opposed to each other. And that's uh, a position that many people hold. You know, they were, they were allegedly bitter enemies. Uh, of course, they were bitter enemies during World War II, once uh, Hitler invaded um, uh, Russia. 
and but were are they were they really ideologically that different in the opposites and a lot of people look at what they call the ideological or political spectrum they look at it from left to right on the far left you have communists socialists you know a little bit closer to the center but still on the left and then on the far right you might have your neo-nazis you have your i mean nazis and fascists and uh, groups like that but is that an accurate uh chart because uh where do you where do you put the anarchists an anarchist is someone who advocates no government not a very uh not a very good form of government no government whatsoever and i've met some true anarchists uh some of the anarchists actually work with the communists and their goal is to create chaos and havoc that justifies uh, a strong government presence and a lot of these people are, of course supported by that but there are some people who are sincere anarchists um, that believe you know the government has been doing such a bad job of things over the last 2,000 years that no government would be pre- preferable to any government and of course that's not the case uh, Mr. John McManus, who was one of our instructors, has a video called Overview of America, and you can go on YouTube and find it. He does a really good job of making, you know, talking about the differences between the systems, and he says that the United States is really uh, in the middle. We are a constitutional republic. Uh, of course, if, if we actually were if we were acting as a republic, we are not. We're acting more like a socialist cut. We are becoming more socialist. And, and in fact, it's interesting because a lot of good people will say just how free we are. And compared to communist China and North Korea, yes, we're very free. But uh, try to open up a Kool-Aid stand in some towns. Try to start a business. Then you see the heavy hand of government at all levels, state, federal, county, and, you know, some states are less oppressive than others to, to, to degrees. My wife had a in-house daycare business in Boston. You have to be licensed by the state. You have to go through all kinds of classes, and you have to take up. Basically, a daycare, you know, we had five or six children. You're babysitting. And any good mother knows how to take care of children. Uh, but they had all these meetings you had to go to. You had to take uh, these classes and courses and update things then they would come in and inspect you uh just uh surprise inspections they could shut you down very arbitrarily oh this 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 little plug wasn't covered oh this latex paint is peeling but latex paint isn't poisonous but doesn't matter it's peeling paint so we've got to shut you down Uh, and then of course you're paying taxes and just we, I just had my, my wife and I just we actually had a friend of ours who's uh, one of our instructors at uh, camp, uh, Catherine White. She's an accountant, and because we sold our house, uh, the, uh, the you know the taxes would be a lot different this year or last year than they were in previous years. There are so many forms. She sent me this when she did the taxes. It must have been ten or eleven other forms other than the uh, the ten uh, ten uh, was it got the the uh, 1020, I think, whatever the form, the, the basic form that you use, 1040. I couldn't believe it, you know, and it's not like we're making billions of dollars. And the state, then the state of Massachusetts, well, thankfully, living in New Hampshire, we no longer have to pay state taxes. We don't have to fill out any state income tax for, for 2021. But this is it, insane. And 
you know, free, my my poor mother-in-law when she was when she was running the daycare business, she since passed, but she would have to save her receipts and be, be nervous about her, you know every little form she would have to. And I said, you know, free people shouldn't have to worry about this. So we're not as free. And then if you invest in the marketplace, all the all you try to sell, all the rules and regulations, and if you if you spend more than ten thousand dollars, you raise flags, and if you have too much cash, I mean, on and on it goes. So it's just amazing. Then of course, in some cities, you have surveillance going on all the time. Uh, of course, when you vote, you can vote no ID. That's not required. You can be very libertarian to vote. Uh, but when it comes to other things, you know, try to gain access to a building, a federal building, like go you know, flying an airplane. And it's, they're still wearing these stupid, useless face masks in these airplanes. And these stewardesses should be ashamed of themselves the way they enforce it. It's like dictators. It's just obscene. Anyway, so um, what I wanted to discuss was uh, an article written by... William P. Hoare, H-O-A-R, is called Fascism and National Socialism. And this was written back in February of 1977 in the New America, uh, I should say, American Opinion magazine. And this, uh, this article was, um, it, it went over the differences between the two systems. And the two systems were pretty similar. And, and then it makes the you know, connection between communism. Now, in the Communist Manifesto, there are 10 planks. And I won't review them all, but you have um, Inca, the abolition of property, progressive income tax, um, the cre- credit in the hands of the state, um, industrial armies, and so forth and so on. And you look at Nazism and fascism, they were very similar. In fact, it was Ernst Röhm, and some of the information I'm mentioning is in the article, Ernst Röhm, who was the head of the SA, he was eventually taken out by Hitler, because he was a true national socialist, and Hitler was hobnobbing with the uh, the Junkers, and it uh, didn't sit well with Ernst. He thought he was selling out, and he had to be done away with. But he said, "Give me," I think he said, "Give me four days or four weeks, and I can turn any the reddest communist into a Nazi." And when the war ended, there were a lot of Nazis who were more than happily became uh, communists. They just, you know. So the biggest difference is national socialism is a socialist government where communism or socialism is more na- national at the, at the level of the, of, the, of, of the country, where communism is international. So the mission of a national socialist obviously was to consolidate power in the state. They're also imperialistic because they, con- they want conquest. So obviously when, when the Nazis came to power in 1933, they had to revamp the military. And it took them a little while, uh, and they were eventually able to wage war on... Europe and pretty successfully for a while caused a lot of misery and you know they 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 had a good chunk of Russia they had uh, most of Western Europe and they uh, <clears throat> so so they were territorial or they were imperialistic in that respect um, where the communists are international and always have been so the communists their goal is world domination and their political system is very similar and I'll give you an example is um, well. Is that uh, you know so it's socialism now in a socialist country in a socialist country today in a lot of nations in Europe they're not socialist in the strict sense they're quasi socialist 
the state may control some of the means or may own some of the means of production, but they control the rest. And it's to the, the, the degrees of control. Or in a communist country, there's very little private property. You might have your own little apartment, but you don't own it. You might have some of your private possessions. Uh, rights of inheritance in the Communist Manifesto was strictly forbidden. And uh, you notice, too, um, make the contrast to the Communist Manifesto uh, and the United States. Uh, back in the early part of the 20th century, we got a, in, a progressive income tax. And the word progressive has been hijacked because the word progress is a good thing. You know, when somebody, their life, is progress in their life, that means they might have gotten a better job, started a business, married well, and have a good family, and that's progress. So you you take an empty lot full of a pack full of weeds and litter, you clean it up and you build something or plant a garden, that's progress. That's something from bad to good. But socialism is not progress. It's socialism is retrogression. It means that if you had that nice little lot, it was it's no longer owned privately. And you probably can't do much with it without all kinds of permits. And um, so uh, progress is not really the goal of these socialists. It's power and control. Um, and, and, and during that same time frame when we got the income tax, we also got the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, the Federal Reserve Bank isn't exactly the means of credit in the hands of the state, but it is a partnership with the state, or in this case, the country, the federal government. It's a partnership between the banks and the government, which, of course, is more fascistic. Under a fascist or a Nazi government, um, you know, there is private, this private sector does exist, but the government tells them what to make, who to sell it to, what to how much to charge, what materials you use. Uh, how long you stay open, who do you hire, who do you fire, what time to close, pretty much the rest is up to you. So you, you open the place up and you, uh, you might decide what color to paint the outside or the inside, and that's really about it. <clears throat> so it's, it's uh, control of the economy versus outright ownership. And if you look at the, let's say, a typical Democrat Party platform, and if you got rid of the anti-Semitism, you would look, it would look pretty much like a, the Nazi uh, platform. And again, people have trouble with that. One of the things <clears throat> the United States government has is called Women's Infant and Children, WIC. <clears throat> and that's a, that's, a pro, that's a welfare program. And to me, it, it's, it's to divide the family, uh, to destroy the nuclear family, which is the goal of all socialist and communist and Nazi governments, is to, you know, the state comes first. Well, the Nazis had something called Mutu and Kinta, mother and child, very similar welfare program. Now, the Nazis did want to have, uh, you want to have a lot of families, a lot of children, you know, so you'd be good Nazis and be good soldiers, and they rewarded that. Uh, the difference today is that the government now punish you, punishes you for having children, and you see, they, governments can turn things on a dime, and whatever the needs are. Now, they'll say, well, Hitler was pro-life, you know, really. so being pro-life is a bad thing. Well, Hitler was, obviously, Hitler was not pro-life. Um, he looked at people who getting abortions, they need to get, the government determines who lives and who dies in a Nazi government. So, and of course, he wanted to have uh, German women to bear good German children so they'd be good vassals of the state. 
he didn't think too highly of other nation, other groups of people having lots of children. It was just Germans that he won't have children. In, in communist China, they determined there are too many people, and they have uh, forced abortion policies. They had one child per family, things of that nature. That could turn on a dime. Let's say there was a famine or there was uh, some, something happened, and a, a good chunk of the population dies, and they need more people. They need more slaves. They would reverse that, not, not on principle, not on morality, but on what, what serves the state. And in Germany, uh, you exist to serve the state. Staten Urba Alice, the state over everybody. And of course, there was also this worship, uh, Hitler worship. So I will offer, by the way, if anyone wants to send me an email and uh, or just read, go to our website. I have this um, on, in a PDF version. We we can't really upload it on our website because it's I don't know if it's still copywritten or not. <clears throat> but I have a PDF version of it. So if you go to uh, camp constitution.net you can uh, just request a PDF version of it and it's uh, it's only about what, 10 pages 14 pages but it go it also discusses all the support that Hitler and Mussolini had in the West people like Churchill people like Ro- Franklin Roosevelt and it doesn't go in too much to a little bit about how the so-called capitalists in the West funded Hitler there is a great book, uh, I should say anything by the late Professor Anthony Sutton is well done, well researched. It's not light reading, not something you want to take out to the beach with you and, you know, just light reading, but very well researched stuff. He was with the Hoover Institute, and one of his colleagues whom I interviewed uh, a few years ago said they call him the Hoover vacuum cleaner because he just researched, research, research, and he had the facts. You know, it was all about facts. He didn't want to say anything unless he could completely back it up. There was no speculation with him. It just, either they did it or they didn't. But he documents how, uh, the, you know, talks about the IG Farben and Bayer and all these big companies, uh, IT&T, and how they all backed and funded Hitler, just like they backed and funded the Bolshevik Revolution, the communists, and, and supported the communists. And you still see that today. What's very interesting is when uh, people were yapping at, uh, at Donald Trump for Russian collusion. The same Democrats and the same neocon Republicans that were yapping about Russian collusion, they've been colluding with Russia forever. Whether it be uh, you know in the, during the Bolshevik Revolution, when uh, certain banking interests uh, funded from the United States uh, funded the revolution. And then in the 1920s and 30s, uh, we gave them aid. And then uh, we helped them out during World War II. And there was bridge building in the 1950s and in the 1960s, more support and funds. In fact, I have somewhere, I have a newsletter from um, Allied, uh, was the people, the uh, Igor Sikorsky's company, the Sikorsky Helicopter Company, and uh, uh, the a few of the other companies that they're all part of the same consortium. Now, Igor was a patriot. He was a white Russian, came here as, uh, in, I think, 1920s, helped to develop the helicopter, and the company still exists. His son uh, doesn't have the same mindset. He actually admitted back in the 60s that they would go to Eastern Europe to sell their wares, and it was all pointed out in this, uh, in this uh, little newsletter. And I wrote to him, uh, never expecting a response, and I said, how many weapons that you sold our enemies in the East were used to kill 
our soldiers in Vietnam. He never got back to me, of course, but I, but I thanked him for you know, admitting it in his newsletter. So the collusion has been going on from the very beginning, but it had nothing to do with Trump. And that vile, disgusting human being known as Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, she, she gave uh, Putin 20% of our uranium. And as a reward, uh, old Billy goes over there and gets a big old check for the Clinton Foundation. Here are a couple of people who had zero money before they got into politics, and they became multimillionaires using um, their, uh, their contacts in government. So, and, and that's another thing, too, about, uh, about socialist governments. Most of the socialist leaders become quite wealthy, whether they're Fidel Castro's, uh, the Castro brothers, whether they're the Ortegas in, um, in, in Central America, whether they're communists in China, or whether they're left-wing politicians in the United States. Bernie Sanders, a dedicated, a true believer, three houses. The communist terrorist uh, Black Lives Matter leader Patrice, Patrice Colors I think she's got four houses, and they're referred to as mansions. So I'm not sure how many rooms you need to be considered a mansion, probably seven or eight, and how many square feet of a house, the, the exact definition. But I think she's all by herself. I don't know if she, if she has a child, but I don't know if she even has custody of the child. But how many rooms do you need, right? Now, I just said something that's a socialist uh, bromide. How many rooms do you need? And in a free country, it doesn't matter how many rooms you need. It's what you want. You know, they'll say, who needs an AR-15? Well, who, need, what, uh, you, or who needs a Cadillac? Well, in the free market, hey, if you want a Cadillac, you, you need transportation. You, and if you want to get from point A to point B, you can, get, you can do that in a Toyota for, most, for the most part. Or maybe if you work and you need a pickup truck, you don't need a, a three-quarter ton pickup truck. You can get by with a little Toyota pickup truck, right? But in the free country, you say, not what I need, it's what I want. You know? And so Patrice Colors, she can buy all the mansions she wants. But if she's a true communist, you think that she's being a little hypocritical, but that's the point. They look at, we serve the state. We're agents of the state. We're entitled to these privileges. John Kerry is another one. Oh, big global guy, but global warming uh, guy, and everybody should, you know, should reduce their carbon footprint by 90% and live in little tiny homes and uh, not have air conditioning. But he flies in a private jet. Or if it's in a private jet, he's flying first class. He lives a very extravagant lifestyle. He has no intention of curbing his global footprint. Al Gore is another one. Obama. Oh, yeah, Obama. Oh, the seas are going to rise up, and my goodness, we're going to be underwater. But he buys a $15 million home on Martha's Vineyard. Someone just told me who he bought it from, and I forgot the some well-known celebrity politician. $15 million. Now, how do you make that? Now, the president makes a good paycheck. What, $400,000? But that's, you know, between taxes and rent and expenses and putting his two children to school and buying stuff for his wife, there's probably not a whole lot of money left over. He surely can't put down enough money to buy a $15 million, oh, but he gets book deals. You know, Mario, uh, Como, I said Mario, uh, the governor of New York, uh, who had people sent to nursing homes to die. They give him an award for being so, oh, he's such a savior of, man, of mankind. He saves so many people, and he gets a big book advance, you know. And so the socialists in our government do very well for themselves. 
And I say that's probably why they got involved in politics. And they'll do it with a straight face. So we watch them on the news or we see them when they're giving their speeches and we think, that, you know, they're really sincere. They are very good. AOC, for example, I have to give her, I don't think she's as dumb, not nearly as dumb as a lot of people. She may not have a lot of book knowledge. She probably can't recite the Declaration. She probably has never even read the Communist Manifesto. Or if she has, she might have just read it once. You know, she's probably not an expert on Marxian theory. But boy, she can get up there and she puts on a show. She even gets, um, you know, she's very dramatic with hand gestures. You know, she probably studied some of Hitler's speeches because she's moving her hands around, you know, and she's got people that think she's really on top of things. And I say she's a very good she. She should get an Academy Award for being uh, being in Congress and doing what she does. And of course, with a socialist, it's never enough. You pass a bill and you say it's never enough. It's a step in the right direction. It's more socialism, more government, more ways to tax, and so forth. So, uh, the, so the, the really the big difference is Nazis and communists and socialists are really competition not direct opposites. There's some differences. And I'm not trying to say that, let's say, McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's, I'm not trying to say they're all Nazis and fascists, but I've used those three companies. No one's going to say with a straight face that Burger King and McDonald's are exact opposites. They're pretty similar. You know, the recipes are different. The menus are slightly different. One maybe use a Pepsi product. One uses a Coca-Cola product. But it's still a soft drink, you know. It's not something diametrically opposite a soft drink, you know. Uh, and Wendy, you know, so they're all similar. You say, well, Wendy's is a little better if you like fast food, you know. And say, what's the? It's the the best of a bad lot, so to speak. And so, uh, so I look at you know the Nazis and communists and socialists. If you if you would look at them as fast food companies, they would be McDonald's, McDonald's, Wendy's, uh, and uh, Burger King. If you looked at them as auto companies, you know, General Motors, Toyota, and Ford, when they come out with products, they're competing. So there's certain the consumers, you know, there's certain people that can get the Toyota Corolla and the Ford Escort or whatever the vehicle is. And, you know, these things, these cars are really competing. They're not that different. You know, there might be some features that are different. The price is the same, you know, the size of the engine, whether it be four-cylinder or six-cylinder, two doors, four doors front-wheel drive, um, and all the other features that come with it. And, again, no one's saying that they're opposites. It's not like you're selling the car versus selling something that's a different, totally different product. So they're comp- competition. And competition can be kind of ruthless. You know, you look at a mafia family uh, or mafia families, and they have the same goal. You know, the same goal is selling, uh, selling drugs, prostitution, gambling, or whatever. And they're killing each other. No one's saying that they're vastly different. They're all doing, they all want the same. They want to consolidate power in that city or that state or whatever. And, and they kill each other off and they're vicious to each other. But nobody's saying that the various mafia families, organized crime are, are uh, opposite. The opposite to organized crime would be organized uh, police to, to stop crime. You see, that's the opposite. And, of course, we know some. There are some police that are corrupt, and that's, that's going to happen no matter what you do and where you are. So um, but before we get a few minutes left, I want to talk a little bit about this Juneteenth uh, holiday that just passed without any debate, 
Well, just all, all in emotion. Now, any any day where people are proclaimed free is a day to celebrate. I don't think that we, we should acknowledge it to some extent. Uh, the average person, average black person, didn't celebrate Juneteenth. They may have known about it. And what happened was uh, a General Gordon Granger, a uh, Union general, he uh, took command of uh, the Texas uh, Union soldiers. I forget the exact number, name of the unit he took control of. He sails into Texas and Galveston. And he simply issued an order, I think it was called General Order Number 3, where he sent the blacks under the Emancipation Proclamation that was issued by Abraham Lincoln in 1862, all of you blacks are now free. You're no longer slaves. And that's a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, it was too bad that a half a million plus had to die in order to bring that about, but it was a good thing that these former these black people were no longer slaves. They didn't turn on Whitey. They didn't kill Whitey. They, they, they celebrated together. This is great. Uh, but that's not when slavery ended in the United States. Like, oh, that's the day slavery ended. It's almost like there was slavery throughout the whole country until June 19th. And that's not true. The Emancipation Proclamation only freed the blacks that were in the states of rebellion, the states that had seceded from the Union and set up under the Confederate States of America. And as the Union Army advanced, the blacks, the slaves that were in that, you could say, occupied territory, uh, were free. But there were four slave states that were in the Union that did not secede. That would be Delaware, Maryland, Missouri, and Kentucky. And those slaves were not freed until the 13th Amendment was ratified December 6th of that same year, 1865. So if you want to celebrate the end of slavery entirely in the United States, at least chattel slavery, then that would be the date to celebrate. Juneteenth was celebrated basically just in Texas and just in a few counties. And if you don't know that, for oh, the sacred June 19th. Look and see all these people that were celebrating it last year, the year before, the year before that. Very few, very few. In fact, uh, I came aware of it when, um, I think we're almost running out of time here. Let's see. Yep. Oh, I got to go. We'll talk about it next week. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Hal Sherlock Camp Constitution Radio. And until next week, may God richly bless you.